here we are. I am so excited. You're, I was in Whitefish. I've been here since Thursday. I feel like I'm a local now. Um, <laughs> we ate at all your places, drank all your coffee. I love it. And we just kept taking photos of the mountains, mountains, mountains. It's so stunning. But it's so beautiful to be with you all around and your campuses. And um, just really excited about this word. Um, I so believe, church, that God has called us to be great. I believe in each and every one of us. There is greatness in all of us. And, um, you know, we are image bearers of a great, magnificent God. So why would we ever think that we are less than great? But I feel like the enemy has perverted greatness in our generation. And instead of actually wanting to be great in the kingdom of God, he's perverted it for us to want to be famous. And we want to be known. We want to be known for dumb things. You know, you just have to look at TikTok to realize we want to be known for dumb things. And that's not what God actually called us to be. He called us to be great and to leave a mark like nobody else can leave. And I think sometimes we feel guilty for wanting to be great, but actually God called us to be great because He is great. And we are image bearers of this great God. But you know, just like in Scripture, um, you know, there was a mother of two of the disciples wanting her sons to be great. I don't think that's a bad thing. But the enemy has perverted this greatness in us and has wanted to fast track us from being servants and actually live in process to just be known without process. But how many know that if we are known without process, it's actually very damaging to us because we haven't built the character in order to steward the greatness that God has within us. And so I just want to read to you from Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 26. And this is where Jesus is telling the disciples about greatness. And he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I believe the path to greatness, true greatness, I mean impacting the world, doing what you were predestined to do. Do you realize that there is a book with your name on it in heaven? Psalm 139 verses 14 to 17 talks about how God knew us and formed and fashioned us in our mother's womb. And it says that he wrote a book before any of our days came to be, there is, a, there is a book written about us. I truly believe that we're going to get to heaven and look at that book and go, you thought I could do this? You, you actually thought I was capable of doing this because I think we think too small. There's greatness in us, but the path to this greatness, I believe, is through servanthood. And the title of my message this morning is simply Pouring Water, Waiting Tables, Washing feet. Pouring water, waiting tables, washing feet. I want to look at three different types of servants that were great. And I want to look at why 
they became great. And there's something in this today for all of us. So we lean in. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten those places uh, that need to be challenged. Convicted. I am not your feel-good speaker sometimes. If you want a feel-good speaker, I'm not the girl. I'm going to be the challenger. Uh, because I actually believe that the Word of God sharpens. It corrects. It rebukes. It admonishes. And so this morning, I want to do that in love to bring us to another level in our life of Christ. But um, the first person I really want to look at is um, Elisha. And I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. So Elijah, the first prophet, went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. My first point this morning, if you're taking notes, is resignation leads to preparation. You see, here Elijah, who was a great prophet in the Old Testament, God had spoken to him about going back the way he came because the enemy was trying to take him out of his assignment. And he said, there will be someone who is your successor and his name is Elisha and you need to go and put the mantle upon him because he is going to take over from your ministry. And so Elijah makes his way and um, anoints, like throws the cloak at the mantle Upon Elisha. Now, Elisha is working. He's right in this field. He owns this field. He is working. I love that he is like the 12th uh, plowman uh, plowing this ground, getting it ready for planting and harvest. And yet, Elijah throws this cloak and he understands what that means. It means leave everything and follow the man of God. And what I love about Elisha, he says, let me just go back, say goodbye to my parents. And when he goes to say goodbye to his parents, he actually burns the plowing equipment. He slaughters the animals and he's making a resignation of his life up until this point. He's not leaving it there. Clearly, the fact that he had the ability to burn the equipment, slaughter the animals, means he was the owner of this. This is a man who wasn't some little slave, some worker. This is the guy who owned it. And he made a decision to resign the life that he had been living to follow the man of God as a servant. And he makes a resignation and he burns the plowing equipment, slaughters the oxen, feeds everybody, and leaves. I believe God's calling us. There are some of us in the church right now that we have got our plan A always there just in case this thing that God is calling us to doesn't work out. We can always fall back to what we are familiar with. But I believe God is calling us to make a resignation Give notice. This life, the life I've been living is not the best life, but the life that God is calling to me, even though I don't know what it looked like, even though I'm taking a risk, I'm resolving to resign 
in order for God to prepare me for what is next. We've got to learn to burn the bridge of what is familiar and move forward into the unknown. You see, when Jesus called his disciples, he called every part of them. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, let this be a side hustle. Let this be a weekend gig. He was like, when I call you, I'm saying, leave everything and follow me. When Jesus calls you to salvation, he doesn't say you can have a little bit of the world over here and a little bit of me. It's not a buffet. It is a decision that I am turning from my past and I am walking as a follower of Christ and I am leaving everything behind and I'm becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because It's amazing because when he went to the rich young ruler in the New Testament, he's like, well, what must I do? You know, because I've done this and I've kept this commandment and I've kept this and kept that. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing that you haven't done. I actually need to see that your your money is where your mouth is. Sell everything, give it to the poor. Then you can be in my kingdom. He's like, oh, can't do that. And you know what I love about this passage is that Jesus isn't running after him negotiating. He's not saying, actually, why don't you give half of it away? Keep half, come with me. No, it says that The rich young ruler went away sad, but Jesus didn't run after him, making a negotiation to try and get even a small part of him to come. Jesus, it's like it's all or nothing. And I think in our Christian Western world, we make it, it, what's in it for me? When Jesus is saying, no, come, follow me. He didn't ever say, pick up your couch and follow me. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Another thing I've not noticed in the Bible, and I did ask Pastor Levi if he could help me because he is a man, learned of the word. I don't know if you've, I've ever seen or read Jesus promising to fulfill your dreams in Scripture. Have you ever seen that? Because if you have, I'd like to know where it is. Because all I see is he says, come follow me. He says, lay down your life, deny yourself, basically die. <laughs> to follow me. But what I have found is that when I lay down my life and I've chosen to follow him, that he has given me a dream far above anything that I could have ever dared ask for, imagined, according to his riches and glory, because our vision for our life is too small. We have this dream of, I want to do this, and God's like, I've got it better. But in order to get it, you've got to enter the narrow gate. And then wide is my kingdom. It's always the opposite. It's a good book. You should read it, Opposite Life. Um, But we've got to resolve to resign, even from our dreams, from our safety nets, from the past that we think, you know, the glory days. Oh, it was so good back when. God doesn't ever take us to less than. He's always taking us to better. And we've got to understand that Jesus is saying, come away. Luke 9, 59 says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I love that Elisha was like, I'm not looking back. I'm choosing to resign and follow as a servant. And there are some people in this place and your heart is still in the past. You can't move forward because you're stuck in your past. And you always walk looking backwards. What if? 
What if? Well, you will never take that which is ahead of you if you are looking backwards and holding on to the past, just like a sprinter and a runner. If he looks back, he loses seconds of gaining ground and winning. And you cannot look back. You've only got to look forward. When you give your life to Jesus, it is literally, I am burning the plow equipment. I am moving forward and I will trust you. That's where we're at. I remember my husband, my husband is an incredible man of God, but before he was a senior pastor of a church, which was never in his radar, he never saw himself as being a senior pastor. He's like, I'm not that guy. I can't preach like Pastor Levi. I can't do what normal pastors do because he was a worship leader. He was a musician. He loves music. He feels safe around music. It's like breathing oxygen for him. He's a recording engineer. He's a producer of albums. He's been doing it since I met him and, uh, you know, in, in his early 20s. And we used to have this beautiful, we had a studio in Australia, which we shipped. We sold everything, but took all of his studio gear to Nashville. And we had a basement with a SSL console. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a mix board made in the 60s. I mean, it is literally this thing. It's basically the weight and size of a full-grown moose. (laughs) Thank you for that. It's that heavy. So you've got to get scope and I mean, it's sat there and it's got all those buttons and you're like, how does this work? You know, you need some sort of genius brain. My husband is like that. Self-taught, did everything, loved it. It gives him life. Well, then God brings these musicians and artists into our basement. We end up pastoring them. He sneakily called us to start a church. And here we have this dichotomy of Henry's career as a musician, producer, engineer, and this shepherding the flock. I don't know many musicians, artists, worship leaders that would lay down their career to shepherd a flock. But I remember when he had, was in this tension, God was like, Henry, I need you to sell your SSL console because that is your plan A to go back to if you feel like you're a failure. Every time he felt like he went up against something, he would look back and go, I can do this. This is what I'm good at. This is what I find uh, fulfillment in, but this is an unknown territory. And God was like, you know what, Henry, it's time to burn the plowing equipment. It's time to slaughter the oxen. And it's time to step into your future. And I look at my husband over the last 10 years and I go, oh, aren't you glad that you burnt? But you know what I love about God? He's just maneuvered it a different way. Well, he hasn't taken it all the way, but he's given it back and it's come at a greater measure. And it's come in a way that you see, God doesn't want to diminish that which brings you life. He just wants to take you into greater territory. So resignation leads to preparation. And in order to possess all that God has for you, we've got to look onward. You see, when you decide to resign, just like Elisha did, he went into a preparation season. Do not underestimate the value of being prepared. This is your formation of greatness. But we want to skip the preparation and we just want to go into the elevation. We don't want the preparation because that's boring. That's mundane. That's monotonous. It's hidden. It sometimes feels insignificant. But I'm telling you, the power of actually going through a season, of being overlooked, of being 
being underappreciated, undervalued, feeling like this is actually the making of you. Because that's the flesh part that ends up dying so that the spirit man actually rises up. And that's the greatness inside of you. But we've got a lot of great people who have not gone through process and they are arrogant, they are narcissistic, and they are awful for the kingdom of God. And they don't actually advance the kingdom, they destroy it. And God knows that we all need preparation in order to be great. And if you notice, Elisha left everything he knew to basically become a servant to the man of God, not a prophet immediately, a servant. And it says that he poured water on Elijah's hands. He was basically his servant to do all the mundane things, to serve him well. And the fact that Elisha spent years pouring water over the prophet's hands had an unusual way of preparing him for incredible, miraculous things that involved water. See, from day one, Elisha decides that his relationship to Elijah was loyalty. I am committed to serve him and him alone. He went after him. He ministered unto him. He made the needs of Elijah his priority. He made the care of Elijah his priority. He made the ministry of Elijah his priority. And pouring water on the hands of Elijah was a trivial thing. But he did it with excellence. He did it with honour. And he did it with consistency. See, I believe when God puts us in a place to serve, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're in a secular environment, it doesn't matter. This is actually kingdom principles help you become a better person in the world because we are reflective of the kingdom of God within us. This is what we're doing. So if you're like, well, I'm not in ministry. Yes, you are. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation. We are called to minister the love of God wherever you are at. So whatever sphere you're in, whether you are working at Starbucks or whether you're a cleaner or you're a teacher or you're a stay-at-home mum, we serve so that we can learn because we observe when we serve. We don't always have to do first. I'm allowing my, my children to observe what we do. And as they serve us, as they serve our household, they are observing how do mum and dad navigate that? How do mum and dad do that? Don't ever underestimate the fact that you are leading your children and teaching them how to serve in households as well. But we serve to observe. So observe means conform to conform to one's action and practice. So you need the season of preparation to actually allow you to watch what's going on. The type of service here indicated someone that was really close to Elijah. He understood the intimate workings of Elijah and how he related to God. He would have seen him how he prayed. He would have seen when he ministered and, and performed miracles. He would have watched how he related and responded. It's just like Joshua with Moses. He was inclined to stay close to watch what Moses was doing. The disciples were close proximity where they learned, they observed. How did Jesus navigate those Pharisees? How did he navigate those miraculous moments? How did he uh, hold himself in the public but you don't receive greatness by just doing your own thing and just visiting in and out with somebody who is great. 
You receive greatness through years of service. I personally sat under a leader for 20 years before I did what I'm doing now. And I had the privilege to observe, to learn, to watch, listen, to serve in the mundane, to serve in the hidden. And I believe the level of greatness is honestly so connected to your level of service. Little service, little greatness. Great service, greater greatness. And the fact that Elisha spent years pouring water, like I said, had an unusual coincidence of what prepared him for the supernatural areas of water because in 2 Kings 2.14, his first miracle after he received the double portion and honor, he parted the waters and walked through them. 2 Kings 2.19, he cleaned the waters of a city that were toxic and polluted through a supernatural act of putting salt in the water, and the waters were clean still to this day. 2 Kings 3.16, he filled an empty valley when they were in desperate need of water. They were in drought, and he saw the miraculous where that valley was filled with water. You, it, it's unbelievable that which you serve faithfully in, I have found, you then have authority over. We want great authority. See, I believe the church should be the greatest in the authority to see healing, miracles, signs, wonders. We have the same authority. Jesus said, I have all authority. Now go into all the world. Baptize them. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I have taught you to obey and lo, I will be with you always. Do you realize the authority that you and I carry? But you don't get that when you just steward it flippantly, haphazardly. It comes to those that are faithful. It comes to those that have actually decided to resign and be prepared. And then that preparation leads to repetition. Some of you are in that repetitious mode where you're like, oh, it feels like Groundhog Day. You feel like everything you're doing just feels like a repeat, a repeat, a repeat. But I'm telling you, it's in the repeat that makes you great. You just talk to great businessmen, great artists, great, great thinkers. They say that honestly, you need 10,000 hours of practice to become great at something. It's the repetition that makes you brilliant. Any sports player will tell you it was the repetition of practice that made me great. It's not in the just flying in and flying out and thinking about it. It's in repetition. And it's that preparation that leads to repetition. And then repetition leads to reputation. 2 Kings 3, 11 is when Jehoshaphat and a couple of the other kings were in jeopardy and they had enemy uh, uh, people coming at them and they had no water and they needed a miracle and they used to inquire of the prophets of the Lord, but Elijah was no longer. And Jehoshaphat says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. I find this so interesting that 
Here they are, needing a miracle. They're needing to inquire of the Lord. They need a prophet to hear from God. And one of the servants of the king says, actually, there is a man of God right here. He used to pour water on Elijah's hands. That was Elisha's reputation. Not the fact that he'd parted the waters. Not the fact that he'd already cleaned the waters. No, he was the guy that poured water on Elijah's hands. You see, your repetition will cause you to gain a a reputation, whether it's good or bad. And reputation means consideration. It's how you're considered by someone or how they label you. It's a widespread belief that someone or something has a particular habit or characteristic. So your reputation, know that saying that your reputation precedes you. It means the very thing that you're known for is first known about you before anybody even meets you. It's the rumours, it's the gossip, it's the things that people talk about about you. And that could either be good or it could be bad. And so you need to think about this. How are you considered? by people. What do people say about you when you're not around? Are you the reliable one or are you the little flaky one? Are you the good one, the bad one? Are you the gossip or are you the trusted one? What is your reputation? Because I tell you, you don't receive a reputation as one who poured water on the hands of Elijah by doing it a couple of times. You get that reputation because Elisha did it for about six to eight years. He faithfully served the man of God by doing the mundane, ordinary things, the repetitious things. But he got a reputation that this man is faithful. This man is trusted. This man served the man of God. So there must be something in this. You see, to be considered, Job was considered by God most righteous in the land. He chose him because of his reputation, because of the way he lived his life, that God could trust him to be tested. What does God think about you? What's your reputation? You're all talk, no action. Faithful, flaky. You're in or you're out. Are you the talker or the doer? Are you someone who only wants the benefits of church without doing any input? I say to people in my church, if you have an opinion, I will only listen to your opinion when you've made an investment. I don't listen to people's opinions on an email that aren't serving in my house. You don't get to make an opinion if you're not invested in the house. But I will listen to your opinion if you have an investment. See, God's not going to listen to your, your words when there's no action behind it. And he's not going to choose you to do anything when you're just sprouting out opinions. Well, you once committed, but now you're entitled because you think now you're owed something and the rules don't apply to you. Are you ambitious or are you humble? Are you proud? Are you low maintenance? I always say, are you a low maintenance or a high maintenance? <laughs> Because in the church, there are both. And it's normally the low-maintenance people that literally do the work and are faithful to the vision. When your name comes up, what is your reputation? Are you the one someone notices in the crowd because of why you're set apart? 
We're set apart because we actually choose to do rather than be just full of words. Have you noticed that when God chose people in the Bible to be great, they were often working? Have you thought about that? I think about David. He was working. (laughs) He was doing the shepherd work of mundane, very monotonous working. Ruth was gleaning the fields, working, and she was chosen by Boaz. People were working when God came out. Moses was working the fields when that burning bush appeared. Joshua was serving in the military and as a servant to Moses. The disciples were, some of them were casting their nets, were working as fishermen. And Jesus said, come, follow me. Whether they were tax collectors, whether they were physicians, whether they were uh, uh, fishermen, God chose those that were working. God doesn't actually honor laziness. He actually even talks about it in the epistles. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And he says, actually, don't hang around people who don't work and who just literally sponge off people. He says, cast them out. We have got an entitled generation that says, I don't need to work. And then you wonder why you're not great. You wonder why you're still stuck in poverty. There is something about working that God said right from the garden He said, tend to the garden. Work the garden. The difference is sin made it hard. But sin actually just made it difficult that they had to sweat for it. But before that, it wasn't that it was just there and we just had to enjoy it. He wanted us to tend it and expand it. It just was effortless without sin. Now it's toil. Now it's hard work. But he never said not to work. He said, be fruitful and multiply. There is something about God that he loves to work and he chooses those who work. So what's your reputation? Because I'm telling you, it's your reputation that then leads to elevation. It was Elisha's reputation that then had him chosen by the kings to do the work of the ministry and he created that miracle where he filled the valley full of water. Can you imagine? There's total barrenness and he just commands water and water fills the valley. There is something to be said for those that are faithful in their preparation, in their repetition, leads to a reputation and then leads to elevation. Do not forfeit the steps of process because you will not be great as God wants you to be great. There is another man in the scriptures in in Acts chapter 6 verse 2 who learnt the art of servanthood but was a great man of God. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order for us to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And they actually chose other men as well. But I love that in this scripture, they're saying, we've got jobs to do. It's like Pastor Levi, all the campus pastors in all the campuses, they are committed to prayer. They are committed to the the, the 
formation of a word that will feed you. But they can't do all the other jobs. If we could do all the other jobs as a one-man band, we wouldn't need the body. But here they are stuck. The church is growing. The needs are growing. And they're saying, we need men who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of grace, to wait tables. This is a privileged position. But in our Western culture, we look at waitresses and waiters as the lowest on the totem pole. But God sees this as a very valuable position. It's like at church, we deem our parking lot ministers of the highest honour. Do you know why? Because they're the first people that encounter our people. And if they have a bad experience in the parking lot, they're not going to even care who's worship leading or who's speaking or how powerful the Word is because they're already irritated from the car to the entrance. But in our mind, we somehow in the church, global, think the worship leader and the pastor is the highest. We get it all wrong. God's got a different economy of what is great. And he says, when you look after the least of these, my goodness, we are doing greatness in the kingdom eyes. But we love to flip the narrative because we look at through the world's eyes of what's celebrated and what is glorified. But here they're saying we need men full of the Holy Spirit and full of grace and full of love to wait tables for the widows, the orphans, the ones that need the most care. They weren't just pouring water. What happens when you wait tables? The first thing you do when a guest comes and sits at the restaurant is you pour water, refreshing water before they've even ordered their meal, before you've even said welcome. You pour that glass of water. You wait on people and it's the highest honour. And Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and power, chooses to go, pick me. Yet if you keep reading in Acts, Stephen was a preacher. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen just didn't go, oh, woe is me. I'll just stick to waiting tables. No, because when he, it says that when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, right, religious rulers here that know their stuff, they said they couldn't argue with him because of his wisdom. Do you understand that God's called you to be great? So that when you are confronted with something, that you have the wisdom of God coming out of your mouth. But yet here is Stephen, humble enough to wait tables, but not look at it as a lowly position and go, oh, woe is me. I'm just doing the lowest, but actually I'm a preacher. Why are they getting to preach the word? Why are they getting to pray? Because that's the calling on my life. Yet he's the first martyr in the New New Testament. And he's the one where his face shone like Jesus. He represented Jesus. There was greatness on his life. In fact, persecution started because Stephen stood up and spoke the word of God in truth, love and power. And it caused a reaction in the city. And I'm saying that you and I actually have a place in this world to be great no matter where you're positioned. But when we serve, there is something that's developed on the inside that makes us men and women of God that are great wherever we are. So don't ever look at the disdain of serving in hidden and mundane places because if you do that with love, honour and power, God will give you authority in the public places. But our 
highest example, I suppose, I think for me is our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the greatest servant of all. I still can't wrap my head around how the King of glory, the creator of the universe, the creator of me and you, the one whose name right now is being sung for forever. It's never stopped and it never will stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. The lamb that was slain, the one who created us, but the one who chose to die for us, the one who honestly is majestic, who angels worship, who the creatures and beasts around the throne are worshipping him. This God who has everything, this God who is majestic, all honour, glory, all power resides in heaven. He chooses to come to our level and leave everything behind to become like us so he can serve us. I'll never ever get used to that thought. I will never get familiar with that thought. Guys, this is where the fear of God needs to live in us, that woe is me that he who is great would come down to my level so that I could be full of life. I never wanna take that for granted. So if you chose to do that for me, then all I can do, the least I can do is live for you. And live like you, a servant. And I love this moment with Jesus because, oh, He poured water over His disciples' feet in John 13, 5. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Jesus. He's about to go to execution. He's about to be betrayed by the one he just broke bread with. And yet, he's washing his feet. He's pouring water as a servant. That's the most humble, most absolutely intimate moment where those feet, it's not like today where we have paved roads. They had sandals and there was mud and dust. I mean, men came in and there was a washing needed. Stinky feet. That's an intimate moment. When you wash somebody's feet, you are at the highest level of humility. And yet here is our King laying his life down saying, I choose to show you how much I love you. I'm not too big to serve. Because guys, if serving is beneath you, then greatness is not for you. If you can't serve the least of these, if you can't serve somebody that hates you, if you can't love and serve somebody that is against you, then you'll never have authority over them. See, we've got to learn to go low. It's the opposite kingdom. It's not about being great and strong and fighting in our flesh. It's actually about humility, love and servanthood that actually gains a place even in your workplace, when you live with that humility and you live serving others, I tell you, you will be elevated to the highest honour because it says it in Scripture, Philippians 2.6, who being in the very nature God, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at every name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See this, this is what Jesus wants from us. And he says, you know, in John 4, 14, he says, um, greater things you will do if you believe in me. Because actually, I've got to go back to the Father and I'm going to sit at the right hand and I'm going to be interceding for you. And I've sent you the Holy Spirit that makes you great. But actually, there's a process of servanthood that I need you to understand because I showed you through my example and through many examples that whatever state you're in, the heartbeat is service. With every head bowed, every eye closed, all over the campuses, those watching online, bow your heads, close your eyes. I believe God is asking you and inviting you into a posture of servanthood. I know that there are some of you that have been serving faithfully and it feels so mundane. It feels like you've been overlooked. It feels like you've been forgotten. God says, hang in there. Promotion is coming. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't bow out. There are some of you that are standing on the sidelines and you're so scared because you've got that plan back there to go, I don't want to really leave that because I, I don't really trust that God has the best intention for me. God is saying it's time to burn the plowing equipment, burn the oxen and take heed to what I have in front of you. There are some of you that God's saying, stop trying to shortcut process what I'm doing in you is far greater than you could even imagine. But don't you overlook the power of process. There are some of you that you just don't feel like you can actually muster up the ability to serve those that are against you. You are like resisting, but God's saying, I need you to humble yourself. There are some of you actually in this service that you're in a workplace where you are literally being... Um, taken advantage of and that uh, things aren't great and, and you feel literally stuck in a corner and God's saying the key for your breakthrough is humility and service. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Give your coat even if your shirt's been rubbed also and watch what I will do because you then will gain authority over the situation, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. But he is asking us, he is calling you. There are some of you, some of you are watching online and, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but you are watching online in your comfortability. You are sitting at home going, wow, this church thing is so beneficial for me because I get to stay at home. But I'm telling you, God is calling you to come back and actually be a part of this house because it is about, it's not actually about you. It's about what you can do for others. And people are looking for you. They need your smile. They need your encouragement. They need your service. And it's not time for the church to be comfortable sitting back saying, what can the church do for me? But it's time to pick up your cross and be the church in this hour because time is limited. God is calling us to be servants of the house of God that are willing to pour water, willing to wait tables, willing to wash feet. And if that's you in this place, all over the campuses, watching online, if you're at home, 
God's saying, I need a response from you this morning because I'm inviting you into the posture of greatness, but it's going to start with surrender. And if that's you in this place here, in Kalispell and all around, I want you to stand to your feet in answer to the invitation saying, God, I choose to serve you. I choose to go to that next level. I choose to respond to wanting to be great. Oh God, I repent for my selfishness. I repent for my entitlement. I repent for just sitting back in comfortability because I know that you've got greatness on the inside of me. I believe that there is going to be a rising up of the church to see signs, wonders, miracles, displayed in the marketplace, displayed in this house. But He needs you. He needs us. He wants to co-labour with us. And He says, will you pick up your cross and follow me? With hands raised as a sign of surrender, I want to pray for you in this beautiful moment, this holy moment. Raise your hands all over the place. Raise your hands. Father, here we are your sons and daughters, me included. God, I never want to take for granted what you forfeited for my benefit. God, may I now lay down my life for the sake of others so that they would find freedom in your kingdom. God, I pray that you use us. God, I pray that we would surrender our desires, that we would surrender our dreams, that we would surrender our flesh so that we could build the house of God, that we would build your kingdom, that we would see the kingdom advance. And God, I just pray for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit because while Elisha asked for a double portion, you came and in the New Testament, you said that you would give us your spirit without limit. So God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon all flesh. And God, I pray that we would hearken to your call and that we would respond and serve like never before. God, I pray that we would move in signs, wonders and miracles and that you would do something in your sons and daughters from this day forward, that we would draw a line in the sand and say, Jesus, we choose to serve you at all costs so that your kingdom may be established. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.